0: Each new generation adjusts to the world it's born into, and that goes for nature too. The mockingbird that mimics cell phones and car alarms is responding to its world. It might not know anything different. I've now been trying to look more towards the future because there will be a future one way or another. As humans, we have powerful imaginations, and it's our responsibility to shape a future that's better for our children and the children of the Mockingbirds. Hello everybody, my name is Spencer George and you're listening to the Good Folk Podcast. That was a quote from the wonderful, inquisitive Ida Florique, a painter living in New Orleans, Louisiana. Her work deals with ecological anxieties paired with reverence for the natural world. She explores what it means to be human in a time of ecological disaster, where to find hope and our place in the recovery as well as the universal human trait of worship. Humanity is an ancient and vital part of the planet's ecology. Our belief systems and rituals are an integral facet of nature. Drawing from a classical tradition with influences in the Italian Renaissance and medieval reliquaries, she examines the importance of acknowledging a world and systems greater than oneself and finding the sacred in the smallest artifacts of nature. This conversation reminded me of one of the greatest forms of activism we possess, the act of paying attention to the world around us. When we begin to pay attention, we begin to see the truth of the multifaceted world. And when we see that truth, we are invited to imagine it and reimagine it. Lately, like many people, I've been thinking about the end of the world. I've also been thinking about how the very concept of the end of the world revolves around humankind and the problems within this. The world will go on, whether I am here to see it or not. There's fear in that, but there's a comfort too. As Ida says, everything will adjust to whatever future is next. When I look at her paintings, I feel certain that another world is coming, one I hope will be more connected, more intertwined, and more attentive. Ida notices the details in things, an important power in the act of imagining new worlds. We're not all so separate as we think. Look around, and look forward. There's something waiting out there, on the other side. Thank you so much for being here, and I'm so excited to get to talk to you. We've mostly been working with North Carolina artists, so it's really nice to get to expand I am dying to get to New Orleans. I've had, I have had I studied the Gothic South, so everybody has told me Perfect. you have to come down to New Orleans. And I have a piece coming out soon with um, the Tennessee Williams and New Orleans Literary Festival, so I'm hoping I can get down there for that. But oh, cool. When is when is that again? It is happening in March, and I it's the same weekend as like eight other things. So I'm trying to figure out if I can make festival it work. Festival season, yeah. Festival season. But yeah, it's um, the Tennessee Williams Festival and the Saints and Sinners Festival are both two two literary festivals that happen the same weekend. So if you've not cool. been, definitely recommend. Um, I haven't been either, <laughs> but I hear, I hear great things. And I guess I would love to start. Um, in your own words, you know, obviously we'll have the intro and everything, but in your own words, how would you describe your work as an artist and the way you found yourself doing this?
1: Yeah, that's, 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 t- it's very open. Um, I feel like, you know my work as an artist is kind of it's always changing it's always a little exploratory um uh you know i think that that I have kind of different different channels of work that i that i engage in um mostly i'm an oil painter um for starters uh i do i'm kind of like known for doing the the these sort of like hyper realistic um they're kind of like altar pieces, paintings of, of natural objects that I find, um, you know, but I'm kind of, I've been branching out a little bit lately in kind of more um, kind of various imagery doing, you know, birds and landscapes and, and fires and, um, you know, just kind of telling more of a, a story that's, that's. Just, just very different from from the older work, and um, kind of trying to figure out how those two things incorporate. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm based in New Orleans. I I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, so up north, um, and moved down here just right after college. Um, and uh, kind of, I was I was the you know the kind of the way that I talk about it is that I. I graduated right in 2009. So it was just a, you know, there was no work for anybody. And so I was like, well, you know, go to New Orleans, be a waitress. And um, I I feel kind of lucky in that and that I didn't find myself in a profession that, you know, was tenable long-term. And so art was just the thing that stuck, you know, I mean, you know, I've always, I've been drawing, I've been painting since I was little, but as a career, it kind of never really felt like you know like an option like that was going to be you know possible you know that's there's the 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 trope of the starving artist and, and you don't you know you don't always feel like that's uh, the possibility for you um, but it just kind of is the thing that stuck and I, I feel incredibly lucky and fortunate to be able to do that here in New Orleans um, yeah is that should I like kind of get more into the like uh, practical element of it or the, the, the work, the paintings? or?
0: Yeah, we'll definitely get into all the paintings because I, I for sure want to talk about your work. But I am so interested in the piece. Every artist who comes on here says the exact same thing, which is that we all loved art or whatever our art form was and most of us did not think it was possible um oh yeah I mean I would chalk that up to I think there's so little representation of artists who actually like live a good life and get to be happy Mm -hmm. and get to not be the starving artist but um (laughs) I'm definitely interested in hearing like you mentioned that you grew up just kind of painting and drawing did you find yourself feeling that you needed to go to formal art school um or doing anything like that or was it more I always did this thing and then I kind of found my way into it through that
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm again, very lucky. My, my, um, you know, my mom's a graphic designer and she always was very encouraging. And, um, so the formal art school like was an option. I wasn't, you know, forbidden from taking that path. Um, you know, I do kind of, I wonder now how maybe how like useful it was, you know, um, like I I have a degree in creative writing, so (laughs) I
0: agree. (laughs) I'm
1: like, maybe I should have studied anthropology
0: years and now I'm a folklorist, you know, life loves to surprise you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot that I'm very grateful for, but I think that there's also a lot in the kind of like formal art training that I'm kind of trying now to unlearn. Um, that's taken many years. Um, but yeah. And I, I went to school for illustration. I think also, again, thinking like, well, I'll need to do something that I'll be able to, you know, get a job in, you know. Um, but lucky for me, those jobs like didn't really exist. So, um, it was just a fine art painting, just making, making images and, uh, and kind of a little more freedom in that.
0: There's both a freedom and a fear when it doesn't exist. The oh, thing you want to do, because then it's like yeah. I get to make it. I get to make it myself. But also, what am I doing?
1: <laughs> there's no constraints. Yeah, there's yeah. no constraints.
0: It's like the most exciting thing to a creative, and I think what draws so many mm-hmm. of us to this kind of profession, and also the thing that's terrifying at the same time.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think I, you know, I always kind of thought, you know, in 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 my youth in college that like I'll just like I'll find my thing you know that interests me and that you know that I can do and then I'll I'll have it it'll be set you know but it's just that that fear of of I can do anything the world is is open and any any painting I make you know like every single day I can do any number of things and it just it never goes away that that feeling of um you know maybe this idea is bad maybe maybe I'm on the wrong path maybe maybe I need to totally change direction, you know, at at least not yet. I'm not Well,
0: having seen your work. Yeah. (laughs) I think you're in a great direction, but it is, it is always a fear that lies over you. And I think about it often. I'm like, my work is so tied to the South. And what if I leave the South, you know, and all kinds of things. There's so many fears with that, but I would love to think about new Orleans. So you mentioned you grew up Mm -hmm. in Cambridge, what drew you to new Orleans as a place and, and kind of brought you here? Yeah, it was kind of, you know,
1: um I I I, graduated, I had a friend who grew up in Baton Rouge and I I came down to visit her and we just spent a weekend um and it was just sort of the first time that it was that I like went somewhere and just felt that feeling of like oh, this could be home. This is this is it. It was kind of immediate. Um and I think a lot of people come to New Orleans and and experience that. Um like I've I've heard that a lot that like, you know, people people come for a weekend and then just never, never leave, you know, they unpack their suitcase and that's it. Um, and I think that that was kind of definitely the case for me. I think it also, it felt like a place at the time, um, which is feeling less, less the case now, I think for, for younger people, but it felt like a place where I could survive as an artist, you know, um, it was like a very low cost of living and there just was this, uh, like, it felt like art was important here, um, in a way that it doesn't really in, in Boston as much. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think that that was kind of it. It was just a, a sort of lightning bolt, you know, love at first visit experience. And, you know, I'm here 12 years later and
0: makes me feel like I need to come there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: We talk a lot in both the newsletter and the podcast of I feel like I've always been looking for the home mm. that I'm just going to get there and it's going to immediately feel like home. And I feel like I have yet to find that. And I now I've convinced myself, I'm like, it doesn't exist. And then I'm hearing you talk. I'm like, maybe it's New Orleans. Yeah. Maybe I need to get there.
1: <laughs> well, but you know, I will say too, like it's it's hard here. It's, you know, it's a constant heartache. And, you know, the city in so many ways doesn't function. And, you know, I do kind of always have, like a bit of a foot out the door. Like, I don't, it's not, it's not like an easy place to just settle down and live, you know? And like, I, I don't necessarily know that I'm going to be here forever, you know? Um, which isn't to, isn't to like rain on that, on that beautiful sentiment that, that it is the most beautiful place in the, in the, in the world. But um, it's just both. It's a really hard place and it's, like nowhere else
0: there's so many places in the south that feel that way to me that they are beautiful and they're also really hard and Mm -hmm. really difficult and Mm
1: -hmm. I love
0: the way you describe it as art felt important um that's something that has felt I felt really deeply in a lot of southern cities that I've grown up around and grown up in in a way that you know I moved to New York thinking that would be my arts community and Obviously, the arts are very important in New York City, but it was completely different to me. It felt like everybody was vying for attention in the arts rather than building the community piece. And I would love Mm -hmm. to kind of hear your reflections on that community and and finding your way within that and what that looks like for you. Because it's hard sometimes to break into a community, but it's also very comforting when you go somewhere and that community is established in a way Mm. that it's not in other places.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I I always just kind of assumed growing up in Boston and or outside of Boston and thinking like, you know, New York is our, you know, there's an equal sign there and you just that's where you're going to go. And um, I spent a lot of time in New York, kind of in high school, you know, just would take the, the $15 bus. Um, on weekends, and
0: I've taken that bus from oh, New York to Boston. So. Boy, <laughs> it stranded me in Hartford overnight. It was yeah. really fun. I
1: was gonna say it's it's yeah. caught fire, it's broken down, it's you know I love that bus, um, but yeah, it uh, you know I had friends in college that went like a year ahead of me and and did the New York thing and just were kind of broken by it. And I feel like I had friends that just you know went there with dreams and just never picked up a paintbrush again and. Um, you know, it just, I, you know, it just, it seems like it's an incredibly vital place, but just so difficult that it just didn't feel, didn't feel worth the struggle to me at that point. Um, and yeah, I think that there is something about New Orleans that, um, you know, I've found it, I have found it really easy to, to make friends here and to find, you know, mentors and You know, I had a a mentor for a while that was just a, a painter and we just, you know, I met him at a park, you know, we were both just taking walks and struck up a conversation and, you know, had a years long friendship after that. And it was, you know, like it sometimes really is that easy here. And I think that that's a much harder thing to do in a lot of especially northern cities. You know where people are kind of more closed off you know and I have this I'm in a studio building you know a few miles from where I live and it's been this it's it's kind of always shifting but it's been a pretty amazing place for just having having access to other artists that are you know there every day and even if you're not you know talking all the time it's just they're there and that that feels great
0: yeah just the presence that's a great way to put it of at the end of the day
1: like New York just wasn't worth
0: the struggle for you. And I wish we had these conversations more because I completely agree. That's exactly how I felt of, you know, I went there and did it and could have kept doing it. But I also realized there are incredible art scenes in other places and there are ways to support and be a part of that. And while this may be a great art scene and obviously vital, it's not the only one. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. nowadays people love to talk. I feel like LA, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, but it's really... Atlanta is maybe getting on the map but New Orleans from what I hear and I I have not been but I am definitely trying to get down there has one of the most incredible art scenes in such a storied history within the arts and it always amazes me that it is overlooked in some ways Mm -hmm. and part of that is probably New Orleans has also had a really difficult history and has Mm -hmm. obviously been hit by some really hard things and is struggling and has struggled in a lot of ways but So is every city in so many senses. And I think think your work does a really beautiful job of kind of engaging with the place and the stories and the world around it within that. And definitely we're going to talk about that. Um, But yeah, how would you say that like New Orleans in and of itself has influenced your work?
1: Oh, it's huge. I mean, I think um, there's a way that like I I, wouldn't, you know, when I was thinking about what we're going to talk about in this, in this interview and having listened to some of the others, um, uh like, I think that there's a way that I, you know, the the place that I grew up was so specific, you know, like I grew up in this very, like, not just, it wasn't just the North. It wasn't just New England. It was like, I, you know, my house was directly between Harvard and MIT, you know, it was just this very specific way of thinking where it was just all like rational thought and scientific method and like kind of, um, kind of strict and narrow in that sense, you know, and I think it was like at the time it was, you know, or when I was growing up, it was kind of valuable. And I, I, it definitely did shape the way that I saw the world. Um, But then I think coming down here kind of opened my, my mind up and my, you know, maybe spirit up to the idea of like, that there's more than what we can see and measure. Um, And that that's just a, a really important, it's just, it's important to, you know, not, not, not close your off, close yourself off to things that you, that you can't see. And I think that there's a way that the, the veil is a little thinner here, you know, you're kind of always more connected to, to past and to things that don't have answers. And I think that's been, that's been really huge. And I think that the, the nature here is so thick and lush and rich and the connection to, to death and decay is much much more present here. You know, it's all it's all, you know, right there in in front of you. There's no there's no avoiding it. There's no sterilizing it. Um, I think that's been a really important, um, important element in my work, especially. Uh, I think that there's just a lot of ways that it's kind of fundamentally shifted the way that I think and process the world.
0: I love the way you talk about death and decay and not being able to look away from it. And it feels so relevant to me when we think of these kind of older southern cities. I grew up in Charleston, which is in so many ways like Charleston and Savannah are what I hear to be smaller New Orleans and kind of along the same Mm -hmm. wavelength of the type of city. And I feel the exact same way if I often remark on it. And I, I don't know that I've ever known somewhere that has been both so beautiful and also so painful at the same time. And they're kind Mm -hmm. of juxtaposed up against each other in really strange ways. And especially with the nature piece, which I want to get into for sure. But it's like you have these beautiful houses and then you have cemeteries right next door. And then you also have waves that are just continuing to rise and coming right up to them. And everything Mm -hmm. is there all together. And it's this element of like you're watching something beautiful die out and also the myths of these places die out at the same time and New Orleans Savannah and Charleston are cities that there are so many myths um, told and so many kind of legends that revolve around these places and art to me is such a way to investigate that that I yeah, I just really love how you describe that. I think that's so beautiful um, and so pertinent and true.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting place for sure, for sure. I've never been to to Charleston or Savannah at all, but I really would like to add them to the list. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, if you like New Orleans, from what I hear, I think you would like them because I've been told the same <laughs> on the reverse end. But yeah. yeah, it's. I just think so much of like modern creative work, and you talk about the veil and the veil being thinner, and I completely agree with that in so many parts of this region, but art right now is really investigating so much of the stories that are told about these places and, and so much of that really is tied to mm-hmm. nature. And especially when you think about like New Orleans' relationship to water um, or some of these other coastal cities, there's so much there and there's so much to explore. Um, and I love in your images, it does, you can feel that kind of beauty, but also the sense that there's something underlying it and something a little darker and deeper mm-hmm. there that... I personally never felt in any of the Northern cities I went to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that New Orleans has a, you know, it was the first time that I really kind of understood, you know, there's a, there's a sort of um, almost like an antagonistic relationship to nature here. I think, you know, because it's so, you know, it will kill you, you know, if you're not, if you don't keep your guard up, you know, whether that's the levees or, you know, I've had, you know, the, the, the insects, the, I mean, you know, the 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 termites that swarm in the springtime that are completely overwhelming. They're gorgeous, but also disgusting. And um, the cockroaches and the the vines that'll eat your house. You know, it's kind of this this battle all the time. It feels like, and I feel like a lot can can get lost in that. You know, because it's it's it can be it can be hard to. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Like it's, it's, it just like, that felt very unfamiliar to me, you know, moving here and just kind of experiencing this like sort of cultural, just, you know, inside, outside divide, you know, by necessity, um, in a lot of places. Um, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm articulating that well, but yeah, definitely the, like, you know, I've never lived so close to water you know I'm I'm not far from the Mississippi at all but the access to it is is it's not easy because we have to have levees and we have this whole industrial system and it's it's just a very different relationship to nature where it feels like um you know up north it was it was nature was a thing that was out there and you could get in your car and go to it and have a nice day and then you come home you know and here it's just everywhere and that's that's such a beautiful thing, and I think it also is a very hard thing because it's, you know, um, sorry, that's um, cats behind us fighting, <laughs> they're adorable. Um. <laughs> oh, god, hi,
0: <laughs> no, I think you're articulating it very well. Of um, I mean, it, it is in so many ways its own kind of veil of this veil between like man and nature and and humankind and the natural world, and I think there's something that has always felt really important to me here. Um, kind of growing up between like the Appalachian mm-hmm. mountains and the coast of you can't really look away from it. Um, there mm-hmm. isn't that separation of like, I'm going to go for a day hike and then I'm going to come back to my apartment. And these two worlds exist differently. Yeah. They really are like juxtaposed yeah. right on top of one another. And in so many ways it reminds me just like of what it is to be a human, which is both a beautiful yeah. and terrifying thing because you really understand your place in it of I study the Gothic South and I'm like, everything in the Gothic South kind of either wants to haunt you or kill you, but it also Mm -hmm. opens up all these doorways to really understand your own humanity and find your space within that and do something a little differently that I think draws a lot of creative people in, that kind of element of I can't look away from what is around me and I have this duty to kind of speak to that um, through whatever art form I take and... I think it's why there are so many art movements that survive and thrive in these areas, and we just don't tell those stories of them often enough, Um, but they exist, and they're out there, and yeah, there's like the veil of kind of the human world and the spiritual world, and then there's really the veil of us being humans and thinking that we live in a separate world, and these places and so many southern cities will remind you that the world in which nature and humans live in is not at all different. It's the exact same one.
1: I mean, I've been thinking a lot lately about how, like, this concept of nature as a thing that is separate from us is relatively new in human history. You know, like nature used to be, it'd be like describing, you know, using a word to describe the air that you breathe. Um, You know, it was where you got your food from and it was, uh, it was where you got your food from. It was, it was, you know, where you lived, it was where you slept, it was... You know where you communed with with other people it was just everything and that you know that you wouldn't have a word like nature because you know you you don't need it because it's everything. Um, I think that kind of when we did put up that wall, you know we lost a lot. I don't know, I'm appreciative of the fact that that I think being here has kind of allowed me to just even see that that is a, a concept that, that 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 is a different way of of looking at things whether or not I've fully been able to. Live, live by that value as much as I'd like.
0: It's very true. And modernization is... I mean, modernization came quite late to the South comparatively. Um, I mean, electrification mm-hmm. was not all that long ago. And it is. Yeah. We do now have these very distinct separate categories that you're right. We didn't always have. And that's a really interesting way to think about it. Would you say in your work, the idea is to kind of remove this idea of nature as a category of separate? Um, or you know, you do a lot of things with different animals and different elements of the natural world that are so cool. And then like your work reminds me so much of like tarot cards, but with all these different like animals and it's, it's really amazing. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about kind of that process or how you feel that you're either bringing nature into your work or kind of
1: removing that separation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, that's, a, that's a, such an interesting question. I think um, the project that I've been working on for the past like eight years, these paintings of of the objects is kind of at its core, just sort of grabbing you by the shoulders and just saying like, look at it, just just look closely, because I think that there's so much that we just don't see every day. Um, you know, and I think a lot about the way that, you know, like I grew up thinking a lot about nature in terms of like evolutionary biology and and these kinds of systems. Um, and I still really like, I just love evolution. I just have such a, you know, fondness for that, that structure of thought, you know, it's just, it's, it's beautiful and it's elegant. And I think that, um, like I do want on the surface, like I just want you to be able to look at every single leaf and every single, you know, every single vein in a leaf or an insect's wing and see that it, it is there for a purpose and it's there, you know, to, 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 draw nutrients to the core of the tree or to provide structure to the wing to be able to fly, you know, things, things like that, that feel so simple and easy to, um, to overlook. But then also kind of within that, you know, being able to, to tell a deeper story and, and, um, like they, like they, they do, they feel like an attempt at sort of like augury or fortune telling, you know? where what I what I want is to be able to like draw connections between these objects and between these these icons and to tell a story that is going to be totally different for you than it is for me but also there's something universal there um does that does that kind of
0: yes no that makes a lot of sense yeah it really does and it's it's such a cool concept to explore in art and um I was thinking as you were speaking, you know, Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets of all time, who once said attention is the beginning of devotion. And I think your work does. It calls for that attention in a way that can lead to this almost like spiritual type of experience, um, which really does Mm -hmm. happen when, you know, I, my new challenge for myself as of late has been to like walk without my headphones and like genuinely Mm -hmm. just pay attention to the world around me. And it's amazing how hard it is. And especially when you get out into nature, I mean, you could sit and stare at a leaf for like four hours mm-hmm. and learn something new every single minute. Um, and I think yeah. art engaging with that is so important, especially now in the world that we live in. And it does, I think, attention can lead to devotion,
1: for sure. Definitely. I mean, I think I think that what hurts me so much is how how separated we are in our houses and 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 in. I don't know, capitalism and the way that we like can't, you know, so few of us have access to, to nature and, and not just, not just in a like, you know, like, yes, it's, it's incredibly important to, to go on walks and to have access to parks and trees, you know, and I, but I think also to have access to nature that you can, you can influence, you know, to a garden where you can feel the soil and, and have a good, like a good leave, leave a positive imprint on that piece of land, you know, which I think is is so much missing from, um, from so many of our lives and from the narrative, you know, I think especially around COVID, there was this like narrative that you heard all the time about humans are the problem and you know humans are the virus and we just need to get out of the way and nature can heal, but that ignores so much of human history, which has been, you know, has had a more, not not benevolent, but like um, reciprocal relationship to nature and and um it just feels like it's so important to to be able to just just start that relationship back in some way um you know and it feels kind of inadequate but it's kind of feels like what we have you know right now like i would love i would love for us all to have access to forest farms where we can you know plant berries and tend to our food systems and
0: it's the dream right (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I was thinking back to what we were talking about earlier with modernization and it's it's not so much humans that are the enemy it's the way in which we've all been forced to survive in the systems that we're in that really is the enemy yeah And we have I mean, for thousands of years, we've been able to coexist. And there's something right now that specifically there's a problem. And there's so many things that you could point to as part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think one small step is that act of paying attention and learning to appreciate what is around you and not just take it for granted. And I've been working on a novel as of late that follows kind of a pine tree god and a vengeful pine tree god who's upset that they've chopped down all the trees and is kind of claiming his revenge. It's set in like a post-climate change society. So a lot of these things have been at the forefront of my mind. And um, I think a lot about like eco-criticism as well and some of the different movements in eco-criticism. Namely, I don't know if you're familiar with something called the Dark Mountain Project.
1: I don't think I am. No,
0: it is. I tell this to everyone I know, and I'm very conflicted about it. But I think at my core, I sort of agree with it. But it's um, an eco criticism movement based mostly in the UK, but it's kind of spread into America. And their philosophy is essentially that we can't. They take their name from a poem by um, a poet named Robert Robinson Jeffers, who was big in like the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s out in California and wrote a lot of like ecological poetry. But their idea is that. We can't fix the damage that we have caused. So we kind of have to learn Mm -hmm. to appreciate the ruin that we're in and do that through the act of paying attention and engaging the ecological world through our art and through our music and poetry and writing and film. And they have a lot of writings Mm -hmm. um, and they publish anthologies and host conferences and all the things. But there's something about it that's always spoken to me that so much of the focus in the world of ecology is in fixing the problem and solving it, which is natural to humankind. I think we always want to look for a cause, but one thing that I have really appreciated about your work and the way in which I've studied and engaged it thus far is you talk a lot about like adaptability, um, and the ways in which people and species and things can adapt to the world around them rather than just trying to kind of fix or solve it. And I would love to hear a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that. You have this one great quote from your gun and gun interview, um, That I will link to, but she said each new generation adjusts to the world it's born into, and that goes for nature, too. The mockingbird that mimics cell phones and car alarms is responding to the world. It might not know anything different. I've now been trying to look more towards the future, because there will be a future one way or another. As humans, we have powerful imaginations, and it's our responsibility to shape a future that's better for our children and the children of the mockingbirds. I just think that's so brilliantly said and worded. Um, Thank you. And the idea of adaptability and, and futurism is not talked about so much in the ecological and climate movement. Absolutely. Not
1: nearly enough. It's all about what can we do to fix it? And I think that's part of the problem. I mean, and it's so easy to like to look at that and be completely overwhelmed and say nothing, you know, we can't. So let's just give up. We'll just go extinct and it'll be violent and horrible. And, you know, what can you do? And that's just like, that's that's not good enough you know i can't i can, you know i also um i am currently pregnant with my uh, first baby so it's kind Congratulations. of just like thank you <laughs> thank you it's uh it's insane it's this like terrifying incredible experience but it has also completely you know shifted the way that I, you know, have to think about the future. Cause it's not enough anymore, you know, not that it was ever enough, but in this very real way, you know, in my body, it's, it's not, not just okay. about you anymore. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, yeah, that's just completely, uh, completely changed everything. And I think, you know, I, I have some friends who are, um, like farmers and work with the land here. And I've talked to them about like, their their understanding of like invasive species and how there is this kind of attitude of like you just have to get rid of them and we have to restore the land completely to what it was before you know colonization and like i mean that that would be lovely but i just don't think that's you know there's so much that's extinct and there's so much damage that's been done and you know they're now finding you know ways to to incorporate you know you know, think of invasive species as differently, maybe reword, you know, them and, and, you know, our entire ecosystems are going to, are going to shift. Um, and, and we don't know what that's going to look like, but I think that, that having the mindset that it has to go back to the way that it was is just as, you know, it's not enough and it's not going to work. So, you know, your options are, are get more creative and Find a solution and and you have to hope, you know, within that or not, you know. And that's you know, not hoping and, and not looking for a solution is just not an answer.
0: Yeah. Going back to the past is not always the solution. Um and I think no. with all social problems, people often do tend to look back and they're like, Well, how can we just get back to that before we messed it up? Mm-hmm. Which is Yeah, it's so mind blowing when you start thinking about it because instead of really trying to reimagine like different revolutionary futures. We're just trying to reinstate a system that was not great and was not perfect.
1: And it's,
0: it's so hard to imagine a different future, but I think it's also so deeply important. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of the whole thing with the dark mountain is that they're saying, even, you know, even if we all go under, we at least have a duty to try to imagine something different and to appreciate what is around us. And to really go back to that act of attention and devotion and, the world can be on fire and we can still find beauty in it. Yeah. Um, And that's the poem. I'll link to the poem in the show notes, but that's where it comes from of a poem that Robertson Jeffers is saying, you know, we're looking at the dark mountain and at the blaze and at the beauty of it, um, even Mm -hmm. as it's on fire, which I think is a good metaphor for our world today.
1: Definitely. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, there are, there are seeds that, that, germinate in fire, you know, like it's, you know, I've been kind of incorporating fire imagery. Again, I'm a painter. I'm not an ecologist and, and, um, you know, I've been kind of you do a good job of walking the
0: line. I think. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
1: Um, uh, yeah, it's like I, I think more about nature and painting as kind of the way to, to channel that. Like I'm not sitting at home thinking about paint as much as I am about, um, trees. But yeah, I've been kind of incorporating fire imagery into my work as that sort of, um, you know, cause it's, it's like the way that we talk about our current situation is that everything is on fire. Everything's burning, you know? And if that's the reality, how do we, how do we work with that? How do we use that? How do we find the good in that? How do we rebuild after that, you know, from the ashes, whatever that looks like, you know? Um, because, yeah, it's not, it's not enough to just say, okay, well, that's it, let's just walk away.
0: And it's not easy. Um, there's a prison abolitionist named Mariam Kaba who Mm-mm. writes that hope is a discipline. And that's always really resonated with me because I think the two arguments you see around climate crisis are, one, like, well, everything is bad. What's the point? And then, two, it's, well, you're being overly optimistic. We can't mm-hmm. fix this. And I think there's something in the middle of that that has always been summed up really mm-hmm. well to me about hope, but also know that, like, hope alone is not enough. There has to be some kind of activism and some kind of Mm -hmm. things tied with that. And I feel like I fought so many people because I'm like, no, like imagination is revolutionary and this is so powerful. And everyone's like, yeah, but it's not enough to just like sit back and imagine a different world. You know, what are the steps you take? But I like to think Mm -hmm. that for people who might Mm -hmm. not take those steps otherwise, if art and imagination and kind of using storytelling as a method into hope can be the first step, then that can lead to greater resistance and activism. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that there are a lot of people like there, there are people along every, every step of the way, you know, there are people already doing the work at every step. And I think that, that if we can get more people to just do, get onto that first, first step, then that's, that's a... Some kind of success,
0: yeah. Have you felt that your art thus far has been kind of a stepping stone to that for people? Or what has some of the public reception been like in terms of showing it to the world?
1: I Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, it's funny because I think it has, um, you know, my work has changed a lot in the past, you know, since since the pandemic, I think. That was kind of an inevitable, you know, there just was no, everything changed so much. You can't, you can't keep doing the same thing. Um, you know, you can't keep looking at the world through the same lens after all that um but another consequence of that has been that i i don't have as many options to put my work in public and see people's reaction to it in real time you know i mean there's the internet which is has been great but also incredibly difficult um you know so i i don't have as much understanding of people's reactions to it since since things have shifted um but yeah, I do think that you know i have like I have a friend who messaged me recently and she has a um they have a a daughter who is i think two and a half or three she was like born right at the beginning of covid and they said that she um has started her own little collection of of natural objects you know she has she's like filled her room with like sticks and leaves and rocks and um and that that they were able to like you know like they were you know might have not been as receptive to that and it just was like oh god that's what it's about you know um you know that that
0: the natural human impulse to gather (laughs) it really is it's such a we all just want to like gather objects um especially natural objects
1: and collect their treasures yeah
0: yeah I have a really good friend and he like forages and spends a lot of time in the woods and his house is just decorated with like cool leaves and plants and all the things. And when I first met him, I was like, I don't know about this. And now I'm like, this is so incredible and cool and wonderful. And we should all be doing this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Absolutely.
0: When you think about the types of futures, um, to go back to this idea of like imagination and hope and using these as kind of radical revolutionary forces, when you imagine in your work or how is your work engaged with reimagining those futures and what would you say those look like to you? Oh, wow. That's a big one.
1: (laughs) It's a bit of a loaded question. (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, I think like for me, it is still, it's kind of, it is always just the, the, kind of about just expressing the process as I'm going through it, because I think that, you know, there was a time, um, and it's kind of interesting because I don't know if visually it's reflected in the work, but I think that there was a time that I felt more of the just abject despair around it. You know, I I felt just like everything was hopeless and I was still making these paintings. um, And it felt at the time, you know, and I think at that point the, the paintings were, were, a little more minimalist and a little stiller, and they were just the sort of you know the objects arranged and at that point, it kind of felt more like archaeology, you know, or like a cataloging of things that that may or may not exist soon um and I think now now that the work is shifting, and it's gotten a little more narrative and there's and a little more mythical um you know i don't i don't ever try to like set out and make a painting and say you know this is about this you know i think i'm it's always just just i'm trying to sort out my own feelings and understanding of things and and the way that i do that is visually you know so i don't think i'm trying to like concretely visualize a future which i do a lot um but you know i'm kind of trying to like find the pathways to to the hope. I'm trying to open the narrative within myself to, to, what, to what that kind of imagination looks like. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. That makes a lot think, of sense. It's yeah. almost like categorizing and cataloging these small things as a way... I come from a background of memoir writing, and that's what everyone says is like, mm-hmm. just write down the things that draw you in or that you find interesting, and you never really know yeah. what's going to come out of them. But... You know, yeah. it can be revolutionary because you're right in, in a future where we might not have some of these small things, even just the act of like having records of them is amazing. And it is mm-hmm. a work of archaeological mm-hmm. and anthropological work. And I saw on your Instagram yeah. that you've done some stuff with archaeology and field schools, yeah. correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us about that? That's
1: so it's so incredibly cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's that's a a, a fun. That was kind of what I um, like. I thought, you know, ideally that I would I would do um as a as a job but turned out there's not like really all that much work in it but my um I still do I'm connected to this dig Poggio Civitate in Italy that's it's an Etruscan dig and we it's located like probably 30 miles or so south of Siena um and I've been going there kind of on and off for about uh 12 years I think um and yeah, it's just this kind of amazing experience of like, um, holding, you know, and, and what I'm doing with them is, you know, I'm not, it's not, it's not fossils. It's not paleontology. It's, it's Etruscan. So it's kind of like pre-Roman civilization, but it's still this just like incredible experience to like hold an object in your hand that was like crafted by a human three, you know, 2000, 3000 years ago. Um, and you know, it's these these things that are very recognizable. It's pots. It's it's weaving tools. It's, you know, just the things that make human life run. And it's just this, I'm just very grateful for this experience.
0: How did you get involved with this? Um, I think there's so many artists I talk to who would love to, like, kind of straddle that line between anthropology and artist work. And I... Yeah. I feel like people talk about it, but it's hard to actually talk to someone who's really done it and,
1: and has found themselves on that path. Yeah,
0: it's it was without going to school yeah. for anthropology yeah. or something.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I just it feels like dumb luck. You know, I had a, a professor who um, who had been connected to them and and he kind of was phasing out and I did a year a year with them as a student. And then was just invited to come back over and over again for like a decade, which is amazing. Um, I mean, you know, I should, I should specify too, it's like an incredible privilege and there's no, um, not really money in it, you know, like I'm able to go out there, but it can't be a job. Um, And I feel like that's the thing that I always kind of have to, I have to clarify because I, you know. I, I think that we can't, we can't talk about these, um these dreams and these activities without the like financial reality of it, which is, yeah
0: which is not talked about enough know. in the
1: art world. It really isn't. Yeah. I mean, and there's so much, you know, expectation of free labor and um in the art world and, and all of that. But yeah, it is, it is, it's kind of one of those things that's always been not always. I mean, I haven't been able to go every single year, but for the most part has been worth it because it's just such an incredible experience. And, and it does shape the way that, you know, the rest of my work so much. Yeah. Just nothing like holding a 3000 year old object in your hands.
0: It's, it actually feels very connected to me to what we were just talking about with some of your more recent work in that all of these are objects of memory and kind of transcending these borders and crossing through. Um, and I think one thing that's really cool is they're wow, both objects yeah. that are of beauty and of use in a lot of ways of, you know, nature often gets commodified. um, But if you're painting an animal or a bird, that's something that's still living, right? It has this other existence outside of just being this thing of beauty, as do all of these tools. And, oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, we talk so much in like the folklore Mm -hmm. and anthropology world, which is kind of where I am these days of how do you categorize like something as an object of art versus an object of craft? And, And where do you draw the line with both? And, yeah, I think that's also really interesting to apply to, like, modern day... Like, I'm fascinated with... I call them folklore futurisms. Um, and what do we do with, like, wands that people are making on Etsy that are selling for, like, $300 but really have no context outside of, like, the fandom of Harry Potter or something? Yeah, um, That's the kind of art that I'm like, what are we doing with these things? And even when we think about urban development and southern development, especially in coastal cities of, like, a wall... Um, that's being built around, I mean, Charleston's just raising their wall right now and they're making it into this like Mm -hmm. public Mm -hmm. park and object of beauty, but it's also a utilitarian thing. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff that's fascinating to me as an artist.
1: Oh yeah. I I mean, I think, you know, I, I, am glad you brought this up because a thing that I've been doing also since the pandemic is, um, I've been quilting a lot, um, which is like the ultimate, you know craft it's 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 you're making an object that has a very clear use um i think also what i really love about it is that it's it's so labor intensive it's so time consuming that there is no way to commodify it you know like there's no way that i could make a quilt and sell it and you know make my labor back make anything more than you know 10 cents an hour because it's just it's this incredibly like months long slow process um and so like the only way, the only way to get a quilt is if I love you, you know? Um, and yeah, I think I've, I've, I feel like there's such a, you know, there's also like, you know, art that's this, you know, this like postmodern idea of art that's separated from craft is, you know, I think that's been important, but I think that I've always been drawn to art that exhibits a lot of craft. Cause I think that you, you know, you don't spend, 10,000 hours doing something, developing a craft, becoming proficient in something if you don't love it, you know? So just the, the, the existence of craftsmanship, of of hand, the human hand in that way is is an evidence of a deep love and a, something ancient and, and universal. And um, like, I think that there's a way that, especially in the art world, they can talk about craft as a sort of, you know, this like... Frilly, unnecessary thing that maybe is like outdated, and I, you know I just feel like craft is 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 what makes us human. You know the 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 desire to to make something that's beautiful, to make to turn something utilitarian into something beautiful. I think is is absolutely universal and can't be pushed aside.
0: I completely agree with that. I think in a world now where everything is commodified and readily available. There's this idea that we don't need craft anymore because why would you make something if you can go to the store and buy it, right? And it is, to me, it's like, I, I, taught, I taught middle school last year and we did a whole lesson at the very end of the year on quilting and I my grandma grew up quilting and I had like watched her do it my whole life and I'd never learned how to do it so I was like I'm gonna teach myself how to quilt and there's something about that process that you realize like yes I could go on Amazon and I could buy a blanket and it would serve the same purpose but there's something about the act of physically mm-hmm. weaving these pieces together and, and it does it takes for if you've never quilted mm-hmm. it is a labor of love like most forms of craft oh, yeah. but there's something in that that is so important right now to me because you can get everything so people who choose willingly to say I'm not going to buy it I'm going to make this Mm -hmm. a labor of love and a process of beauty in making it is so amazing and I think we see this of like I've been fascinated with the resurgence of like metal smiths Um, and I live in Durham Mm -hmm. North Carolina now and we have quite a few like metal smith studios that people are going and they're learning how to like blow glass and make cups and like learn how to weld, and and I think it's so cool, and to look at that as objects of art um, is amazing. And also pottery, I mean, p- the pottery resurgence has been huge the last few years. I feel like oh, everyone yeah. is taking pottery classes these days, um, which I just think is yeah. um, is really amazing. Yeah, we should be because we shouldn't be. Yeah. To go back to what we were talking about like half an hour ago, we probably shouldn't be so separate from this idea of nature and the way that things are naturally made, um, which craft kind of implies that mm-hmm. it's not naturally made, but. There's this element that I think people associate craft with the idea of like natural living. You know, you're out in the woods Mm -hmm. whittling your knives. right? Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't have to be so separate from what we do and from what we buy. And that's an intentional choice that we're able to make
1: should we be so willing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I feel like I've been thinking a lot, too, about the like the concept of and this kind of goes back to, you know, growing up somewhere as as sort of academic and logical as Cambridge and 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 then now kind of returning to the idea of animism as like a like a very useful um, worldview where it's, you know, I think it's important to see every object living, dead, man-made as carrying a spirit, as carrying life in it. And yeah, I think that, that that'll shift the way that you move through the world and the way that you dispose of things and the way that you create things and the way that you walk past anything. Um, like it, it'll just, it'll imbue, you know, I think that we live in a time where, where, you know, these, these aren't my words. I don't remember who said them, but you know, the, the forest isn't valuable until you've cut it all, you know, cut down all the trees, you know? And I think that imbuing, imbuing all of it with, with life is critical for us now.
0: Would you say that that can lead
1: to deeper empathy, both Amongst people and amongst people in the natural world, yeah, I absolutely hope so, yeah, I mean, I think that you can't you know it's so much easier to look at you know um you know look at a thing that was clearly industrial made industrially made halfway across the world and shipped to this place and this place and this place, and you know look at it, use it, throw it away um but to to hold a thing and, and I think that that does such a disservice to all of the people on the the way that that have made that that thing come into existence, you know, and I think that there is it's so much harder to do that with a thing that's handcrafted, you know, a thing that has mistakes in it, a thing that has, oh, man, like, like some of the things that were that were the most incredible to experience in, uh, you know, on the dig and in the archaeology world are the like, the ceramics that have just like a little fingerprint in them, you know, where that person maybe didn't intend to to leave that there or, you know, just like didn't notice it or maybe they, you know, just did and didn't care. And, you know, all these thousands of years later, I get to hold that thing and like see that direct evidence of a human hand, you know? And it's impossible to not like feel that and and kind of imagine yourself with that person and, and you know, then coming back here and doing pottery lessons and thinking about that person while you're, you know... It's just incredible.
0: It reaffirms, at least in my mind, both your own place in the world, but also the... The role that you play that is not an individual one, which is I think something that it's so easy to forget in the world we live in, because we're all just going about like our day to day individual lives, and it's so easy to feel separate from everything around you. Especially if you're in a city where the nature is not kind of right up there, even the nature is separate. Mm -hmm. And um, I know for me, like New York City was probably the most isolating place I've ever lived, both because I don't have this connection to the natural world, and I also don't feel like I have this connection to other people or a reminder of my place within mm-hmm. the world of other people. And there is something I, I wrote recently t- <laughs> on Instagram. I was like, we're all just like beings floating through the ether, like looking for a hand to hold. And there's something to me yeah. when you see a fingerprint from an object like thousands of years ago, it's like, that's the hand reaching back to you. And yeah. it's so important and so beautiful. Um, and it's really hard to do
1: without art. Yeah, no, I mean, I think like with the fingerprint, there's this urge to, to put your finger there and try to, like, you know, match up with it. And I think that's absolutely, you know, reaching through time. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the hope. How
0: many great art paintings do we have where it's just people reaching out with their fingers? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the classic image. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's true. At the end of the day, you know, we're all looking for each other in this craziness of the world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I really do believe that, like, art can be a bridge yeah. for that. and. Mm-hmm yeah I, so I know we are coming up on our hour, which is so crazy. I feel like I've only been talking to you for like ten I know. minutes and, go. um, goodness I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> to continue to follow your work and see more. I just think. It's amazing. And yeah, now you've got me wanting to break my sewing machine out and get back into quilting. So I've been taking pottery classes too. So I'm right there with you. (laughs) And I guess anyone listening, this is your sign to take a pottery class, go (laughs) metalsmith, move to New Orleans. Um, But I I have one last question for you that we ask all of our guests. And that question
1: is, what do you believe in? Yeah. um, Big question. That's a, it's a big one. Um, I think uh, ultimately it, 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 all just comes down to life and it's just, it's feels like a, um, like a miracle that we're here at all. And, and, uh, that everything came to, you know, whatever your belief system is, what, wherever you're, um, wherever you're coming from, I think that the, the fact that we're all, you know, we get to live on this planet and everything came together with the right, um, all of the right elements, for us to be here at a time and, and experience rivers and mountains and leaves and snails and birds is just like, it's the most incredible thing. And you just, I just never want to lose sight of that. So I hope, I hope that's enough. I hope, I hope it's enough for me and I hope it's enough for us and it'll get us through it. I think that's
0: perfect. Very well said. Thank you for being here. And um, for anyone who wants to engage with your work or follow, or is there anything like upcoming, exciting? Um, where can people find you?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram at IdaFloric. Um, uh, I'm on Tumblr at also at IdaFloric um
0: i love that you're on tumblr i grew up on tumblr and i feel like nobody
1: there was tumblr died out i want a tumblr resurgence it's, it, it's a thriving <laughs> it's, it, ecosystem it's that has been thriving. forgotten you know yeah,
0: it's coming back it's, tumblr it is, is gonna, it's gonna I'm be gonna cool gonna again it is
1: back i think it's like it's it's like the you know the abandoned mall that has ferns growing you know it's this beautiful... Eco-brutalism on the world of oh, the internet. It really is, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... it's Like, I, I actively prefer it, I'm going to say, to to any other social media. So, yeah, Tumblr, you can find me, Ida Floric. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that. That about covers it. I'm not. I'm not a huge internet presence, but
0: I think those are perfect platforms, and I'm very excited to follow you on Tumblr. <laughs> um, thank you again for being thank here, you. and thank you for this conversation. And to everyone listening, have a good day, good night, be good, stay good.